0: There's a lot of psychology in in the selling world of how much you like yourself, how much you believe in yourself and how prepared you are to be vulnerable because you have to be vulnerable enough to ask for somebody who's going to say, no, thank you. Nobody wants to hear the word no. People really don't like hearing the word no because they feel like it's actually them being rejected, but it's not.
1: Welcome to the Sales Masters Podcast. Here we're going to be interviewing titans of industry, bringing you the hacks, the tips and tricks from the whole of the world on how you can get more effective in your business. We're going to bring some of the biggest names from across the world to drop their bombs, drop their information, to give you the info you need to thrive in business. We're going to talk about the struggles, we're going to talk about the successes and everything in between. Welcome to the Sales Masters Podcast. Today, we have the incredible Iffy Thomas with us, who, if you look at her CV, she has just covered every single base. And I'll read you some of this out. Holder Skills as a speaker, uh, moved into corporate finance, swapped a really big TV-ish, we could say, big brother, X Factor, managing director of the National Accountancy Network, thrived throughout business, Brian Tracy, sales trainer, which is what we're going to probably touch on more today. Overall, all round amazing lady, Iffy Thomas, welcome.
0: Wow. I think that's probably one of the best intros I've ever had. So thank you very much. <laughs>
1: You're very welcome. We aim to please. Thanks for coming to join in today. So, I mean, a lot of the people that are going to be listening to the Sales Masters podcast, entrepreneurs, business owners, CEOs, managers of teams. So it's really about I think for a lot of people, sales, as we were talking about a minute ago, it can be either something they love, they hate, or they just suck at it and they like it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we we seem to spend a huge amount of time talking about this. And I know you're someone who's, you get really into the whole sales process, right? I mean, is this always been a love thing for you? Or has it always been, for me, it was a hate thing, but I learned to love. But was that the same for you? Or have you just always loved that vibe?
0: Well, that's such a good question. And in fact, I entered the sales world for a different kind of avenue. So like you said, I was a performer, a dancer, an entertainer. And what happened is in my world of performing, you usually don't have a job most, most of the time. So while you don't have a job, the idea is that you go and work front of house in a theatre where I worked. I've seen The Lion King 800 times. Um, yeah, 800 times. And I've learned the choreography mirrored so I could do it anywhere. I can sing you every. Every single harmony in the show, I've seen it so much because when I left, um, when I left the Oden Academy, which is like a prestigious ballet contemporary jazz school in Covent Garden, Lyceum Theatre is based in Covent Garden. So the natural thing to do is get a job working at a theatre selling ice cream. And I remember this one evening I was standing there. Um, with my ice cream, the thing around my head with the tray of ice cream, <laughs> really expensive. Like I think for a little tiny little Hargan's top tub, it was like five pound, and this is 2004. And some Pringles were two pound fifty for the tiny little ones, um, and it was like. And I just remember standing there with my burgundy blay, burgundy waistcoat on and the bow tie, watching these people on stage doing what I want to do, and feeling like I can't, I just can't do this to myself it's torture you know and so i made a decision that i was going to find something else but i couldn't find anything else i had no other experience but dancing and performing so i'm um, i looked in the stage which is this newspaper called the stage which all dancers get it comes out on a wednesday and it's like a giant paper like like maybe a3 and it has all the jobs and adverts for dancers and i saw this thing that said we're looking for actresses and it's 250 pound a week you know, um, plus commission. And I was like, oh, that sounds really good, you know? And um, they said, well, you need to be a great actress. And I thought, you know, I've trained my whole life for this. And I got there and it was this company called um, Cyworks and they sell publication space in Golders Green. And um, this was my first introduction to the world sales. So I walk in, sit down, all like white middle-aged men in suits um, a few like like Wendy's, you know, like HR managers and stuff. And I walk in, and they're like, "This is your table. This is where you sit." They gave me some training. You pick up the phone, and I was selling space, publication space, to um, the people in the NHS. It was an NHS magazine, and I was selling to like psychotherapists, therapist, all medical people. Space in this magazine that was distributed. And they were like, right, all you need to do is think of it like acting. You read this script, you create a new pseudonym. Mine was um, Charlotte King. And you read this script. Now, when they say this, you click, there's like a little index card sticking out. Yeah. Like, and you just flip that, like that. And then you read the next bit. And you just re- keep reading it. They say, not interested. Event, and then you get to not in, And you read that and you say, and you read it. And I was like... Okay then. So then I started pick up the phone, call, they'd say what they said, I'd read it, bring my personality and read it. And they'd be like, This girl is brilliant. Like I was just closing every sound and I was like, Well, isn't that what I'm supposed to do? They were like, but we'll keep going. So then I used to go there like at three, about three o'clock and work till five, really, because I danced, you know, I, I and I negotiated random hours, but in this one period, I remember I d- did it like a normal nine to five and I made so much money. And and um, they were like, wow, what are you doing? I said, just following the script, just following the script. And now looking back, the reason why I was so good at it is because I was totally detached. Yes. I was thinking, I'm Charlotte King, I'm doing this. This isn't my job. This is just to pay for my, um, you know, outfits and to go out with my friends. I'm a performer. This is, whatever this is, it's just paying the bills. So I was not detached to it. I wasn't worried about rejection and people saying no, because in the world of dancing, you go to, if you want to stick at it and make it as a dancer, you have to experience people looking at you. You sing your blooming heart out. You do triple pirouette into the splits, into like a backflip, And you know, they're like, no, you're not what we're looking for. And then they just go next and throw your photo at you. So I'm used to that.
1: Do you think that, because for a lot of people in sales, people could be watching this now, her new and they're going through that that cycle of rejection and it's not going well. It's almost a self-imposed limitation a lot of people have. Now, being from a world where you're doing a high standard in dancing, you're like you say, you're giving your all and getting hit with it because you guys must get hit with so much rejection. Going into sales, the conversion rate is pretty darn high, Right incomparable now do you think a lot of people that come into sales because that's the hardest thing they found that's the the only barometer that they've already got do you think now if people had it harder they would find sales easier
0: oh what a great question i think and there's a lot of variables there because there's a lot of dancers that leave dance college and actually go to one audition get a no and then go back home and get a degree in graphic design right okay the percentage of dancers that keep going is very low. I mean, like most people go home and go and get a degree, doing something else, and think that was it. It's too hard. I'm not going to make it. So much competition. So I think that there's a it's a certain type of character. But also, what I think is, if it was made, if you were, if there's a couple of reasons why I think people succeed in sales. One, you literally need it to survive. Yes. You can't eat if you if you don't put. If you don't get a cell, you can't eat. That kind of desperation, desire, whatever, you've got those people. But then you have got like, if I think about athletes, my couple of dancing to the wings, I recognize there's a correlation between working your body and working your mind. When you're somebody who is been, is training to do the splits, for example, yeah. the, the pain that you yeah. go through to stretch your body into that position you, and the and the constant like pulling, pulling yourself way out of your comfort zone, because you can see what it what it looks like if you can do beautiful splits. Like it's the most beautiful thing. So even if you you're nowhere near down on the ground in the splits, you keep going and going and going and going and going. And as a dancer, you arrive at the splits and you go through that mental process of, I wasn't able to do it, I went through loads of pain, and yeah. then I could do it. And it's like that kind of link between so the cause and effect. Do this, do this, do this, do this, and this happens. And I've seen it happen for loads of other people. So when you take that mentality into sales or business, it's about knowing in advance that if you do what that what you need to do, what's required, and you do it for as long as it takes, and you do the hard and necessary things, yeah. then then we we already instinctively know that we'll get results. But some people who've never experienced, you know, pushing their body to that limit or experiencing. Being rubbish to being good. If you've never experienced being crap at something and then being great at something, then it's very hard when you go into sales because you just walk in and think, oh, this is never going to change. Every day I'm just going to get slapped in the face and I can't do it. Like I won't do it. It hurts. But it's the, for me, I think it's the mindset of knowing this is part of it. It is painful trying to do the splits, but eventually, you'll be doing them beautifully. And everyone will be like, oh, aren't you lucky you were born naturally.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Those lovely people. Here's a question for you. Being a parent, and I I always see on Instagram, especially um, how amazing a, a parent you are. Do you think the eighth place trophies screw people up for things like sales jobs, for going into dance? Because if everyone's a winner, we're not we're not used to that rejection? Or do you think the world's changing now where the way that we've come through on it is almost becoming out of date?
0: Oh my gosh, that's a good question because I can look at that in two different ways. So if I look at the top part of your question, which I think where you're going from and then I can go into the deeper part, I don't think everyone should get a trophy. I just don't think they should because it really undermines and it devalues the winners. Yes. And I think academically, not everyone gets an A star in maths not everybody like so for the sports people and the like give us an opportunity to shine without giving you know the slow fat kid a a trophy because that kid might also be like the maths expert who gets all the A stars and you don't say oh let's the poor you know dyslexic child let's give them a medal let's give them an A star yeah yeah. so I really believe that if we start giving awards to everybody it just devalues it it just makes it like well i got they got an award i got an award well does it really matter that i tried does it yeah really no case. it's yeah it takes it takes it away so um that's the first thing but then when you say giving eighth place well in, in my dancing days they were they used to be for all the way through to eighth place but oh, if really? you're if you're standing in the line and there's first second third that get like the glory, and they get points that move them into right towards their category. Four, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. Actually, when you're at the bottom of the line and you're number eight and you're looking up and seeing how many people are in front of you, in that moment, you've forgotten all the people you've beaten to get to that eighth. Mm. You just feel like I'm last, which then means that you think to yourself, my goal for me, I was like, I want to just jump up one. You know, I want to just... True. Yeah, I don't want to be at the end of the line. and want somebody standing here is behind me. Yes. And So I think that's good as well to see the progress. Because if there's just first, it's like that picture, you know, someone digging for diamonds and you see past the mud that the diamonds are only a few inches away. But they think that they're so far away that they turn around. Yes. And I think if you only give first place, then you actually don't have any kind of indicator of where you are, like you might've just been picked.
1: True, I like it. So here's the thing I've got for, when we talk about sales, we talk about business, Some could be watching this now and they're like, well, yeah, it's all great, but it's different in my industry and this isn't that. I personally think a lot of the time people in sales and selling, they don't give it their all. They don't give it a Robert De Niro performance. They did a Hollyoaks performance. And I talk to people about this all the time, right? And this isn't knocking Hollyoaks. We're just saying, compared it to the Robert De Niro. You know, you just watch it and there's a difference, right? And it's not a 100% difference, but that extra 10%, that extra 15% is where all the glory is. Now, I believe, and I see it a lot, and people on this will, will probably be able to recognize it as well. But in sales, like we say, that extra 15% that people don't do is what holds a lot of people back from getting any success. Do you think that's because a lot of people, if you agree, of course, they're scared or do you think they don't believe in themselves? Because I know with you, if anyone is watching this, go and check if he's stuff out. As a video coach, you bring this motivation, you inspire people, you lead from the front in what you do. And do you think so many people just don't have that belief to start with, that they don't execute? What What, what do you think? I know that was a long-winded question.
0: No, no, it's a really good question. And I suppose I need to think about it because, well, first of all, we're we're, we're looking at all different characters. So if we're looking at, let's say, someone in sales and the question, do you think that they're not executing it to their fullest? Are they not giving it their all? I think that is definitely something that's there. But because a lot of my work is psychology and understanding people like the, the psychology of the human being, I think that there is that whole kind of imposter syndrome as well. And there's that ho- everything to do. Some people will never give it everything that they've got so that they can always hold on to, well, I didn't give it everything yes. that i got.
1: Yes, if it. I agree. You know what Sorry, I mean? like, yeah, I
0: yeah, 100%. It, I never made it, but deep down in my mind, I didn't. I if
1: didn't I tried, it, I would have done it
0: yeah and then they can hold on to that like belief to make them feel like there's hope but what happens is you're actually kidding yourself because you're, you're you're getting the way you're getting in your own way where if you're somebody and this comes down to self-esteem and it also comes down to vision as well i think if we think about in the sales arena if you have this vision of the money you want to generate the revenue you want to bring in from your sales activities and you can see it and you believe it and you have decided where you're going to distribute those that money to buy, you know, your Bentley or whatever it is that you want, yeah. And you've been out and you've test drove the Bentley and you felt that it's yours and you've imagined it being yours, then when you actually sit back down at your desk to make that call, you're coming from a place of this is this is for me, and I will do whatever is required. So if the client on the other end gives me a pushback. I'm prepared yes. to come back. I will keep going over. I'm, 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 I'm happy because I know that by me doing this, it will lead to this, what I want. So there's a lot of psychology in in the selling world of how much you like yourself, how much you believe in yourself, and how prepared you are to be vulnerable because you have to be vulnerable enough. I agree. To ask for somebody who's going to say no. Thank you. Nobody wants to hear the word no. People really don't like hearing the word no because they feel like it's actually them being rejected, but it's not. And and people will avoid no. People would run into a burning building to avoid the, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So um I, I think what you're saying is absolutely correct. So what I do with people is I get them to actually have a vision, have the desire, build that burning desire of what it is that they want so that they can run through the fire, hear knows hear the booze, knowing that that's part of the journey. Yes. You can't win a marathon, you know, without experiencing every part of the road. You know, you can't just be like, oh, I don't want to go on that uneven piece of road. I don't want to run on there because I could twist my ankle. Well, tough, everyone has to run yes. on that. If you make it through it, you've got more chance of winning, and you know, becoming more Farah. But if you're not willing to run on that rocky bit of road because you might twist your ankle, then you're not going to get there. But all the people who run on the rocky road, they're allowing themselves to take the risk of being vulnerable, like mm. I mean, maybe breaking a bone. But they, but they're willing to take the risk because the finish line is so desirable that yes. they have to run on unstable ground. And I think in sales, the desire is always been what's um, kept I agree. me. From.
1: I think it's really interesting what you say about it. I I talk to a lot of people about this in the coaching side. And I say to a lot of people out, I always try to watch my words sometimes. I think a lot of people are actually spoiled. Like, (laughs) not spoiled as in you were treated. But like, when I I talk to some people sometimes, like if they've come from absolutely nothing, they see what other people have. Like a lot of people out there would love our problems. Like there's people out there now that are running 80 grand a year and they've got 200 quid left in the bank, but they're moaning that, oh, my ex-car and this and that, and my, I've only been on four holidays this year. And they don't have the gratitude for what they have, right? And I find it really interesting because I think we all get to that stage. But I find really interesting is when you were talking earlier about the whole Bentley and the gold stuff, right? But a lot of people don't have a clarity on that target that they're trying to hit. Most people don't know what they want, but you always seem like, you seem like you have a laser beam focused. That you know what you want, you know how it's going to look. I remember when you are doing the Aston Martin recently, and you're sat there, and you can hear the language you use. Now, is that something which that's been there for a long time? Has that always been implemented with you? Is it something you just learned over time?
0: Wow, that's a really good question, and I like what you said about like spoiled and entitled people who are entitled and feel. Like they deserve it without actually um earning it, you know, or feel like everyone who has it is, you know, lucky or whatever. So for me, the, the visualization part of it and knowing exactly what I want isn't something that I was born with. But if I think, if I now look back, you know, like um Steve Jobs says you can't connect the dots looking forward, you can only connect when you look back. I I connect my dots all the time backwards because I try to understand. So as a dancer, one of the things that we did was mental rehearsals um, as a lot of athletes do it. You know, we <laughs> actually mentally go through the routine in our head. Yeah. Visualization It's about being able to see it and to be able to rehearse it. But to visualize your solo, let's say you've got opening night, your parents are coming, it's graduation and you're performing in, in a show. You're doing, let's say you're doing Fame. And you've got the lead part and you've got to like do all these like spiral turns, these spins in the air and you've got to land a triple pirouette, do a box split jump and you've got to land it and stick it. And you've rehearsed it. But then what what a dancer does is they they actually live it in their mind and they live every movement, every feeling. And then on the day we we do it um, shooting from that place of knowing we know we're going to land it. If the lights come down, I can still trip. I, I'm going to land it because I've been there in my mind, my body, my muscle memory, everything is. <clears throat>. So, from that as a dancer, and then coming all these years forward and being introduced to Brian Tracy, I think there was a moment in 2007. I was on a show called Dance X, which is like a BBC show like X Factor, but for dancers. It had Arlene Phillips, and it's run by the Strictly Come Dancing. Like team, and it was that, and there was the vocal coach, a guy called Josh. He first said, "Before we go on stage, guys, I want you to visualize." And everyone was like, "What's that?" He was like, "You have to visualize." He goes, "So I want you just to visualize yourself singing amazing." And I was like, "Visualize myself singing amazing." He goes, and he explained what to do. He says, "Close your eyes, hear the notes in your head, and imagine yourself singing in harmony with each other, spatial awareness." And I was like, that night after we'd did the performance we were all like whoa you know I I was only like 22 at the time we were just like wow and I held on to that and then lent into like Paul Coelho you know the alchemist and then started going and then as I started to develop personally my personal development and learning about setting goals and seeing what I want and having clarity I realized oh I've been doing that my whole life in my dancing, I've been visualizing, I've been goal setting, but I didn't actually know how to do it. So to answer your question, I, I haven't been doing it my whole life, but because I've seen how it works, I mean like I've seen how it works and I, I I've I've watched it happen in real life so that I know I know that I know that it works. And it happened with Big Brother. I knew I I tested it out. So I'd watched The Secret and all of this stuff, I'd read. The Alchemist, I'd read, um, what else did I read? Oh, I'd started reading Bob Proctor's Paradigm Shift. I'd read Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn and Eric Thompson and John Maxwell and like oh, all the development people. I was going down those rabbit holes to learn them and following people like Steve Harvey and all that. And I went into the living room, my mum and dad were watching Big Brother and I hadn't even watched the show, weren't even interested in it. And I was trying to get their attention. I was trying to get them to listen to what I was trying to say. I was like, oh, and they were just staring at the TV. I said, you know what? And I stood in front of the TV. I'm going to go in that house one day. And my mum's like, there's hundreds of thousands of people that queue up for it. She was like, you would hate it in there if you're so particular. Because I was a very, like, particular kind of person. I was like, no, I'm going to go in it and then you can watch me on there. And they, like, smiled. And then um, I saw them pull up to... And Davina would meet them, get out of a car with their suitcase, one at a time. And I visualised myself pulling up in the car and coming out of my suitcase and meeting Davina and going into the house. And I just kept seeing that over and over again and didn't do anything about it. Then I got an email from my friend who runs a dance school in my hometown who teaches like little ones to dance. And she said, I got an email, Ify. Um, They're looking for dancers that have been on TV to um, audition for Big Brother. I was like, did my mum tell you that I was gonna go on Big Brother? She goes, no. She goes, I thought of you, because I know that you're <laughs> confident and all that. So I, I was emailed them and said, emailed them my details, emailed them my CV, like, like, a, like a dance audition. Send them some videos, emailed back and said, can you create some videos for us? Can you um, show us a day in the life of Iffie? And um, I had two pup, I had two dogs at that time family dogs and we did this thing outside the back of the garages of where my house is like at the back gate there's like the garages where terence filmed me we borrowed my uncle's video camera and he filmed me walking with my two puppies and heels prancing i mean like this is my life and then we went to the gym and he filmed me in the jacuzzi going oh yeah this is me <laughs> um you know like and we just created this video and sent it in and then then I got an email to say, come in for a private audition. So I didn't queue up, I didn't do any of that. Went straight into the producers, asked me loads of questions, really over-exaggerated like everything about me, like massively. It's like, yeah, I can't leave the house if my eyebrows aren't drawn on, you know, that wasn't true. But I had a friend who was like that and thought that's a really strange character. Um, so I just kind of started copying and <laughs> to get myself in. And then I went to like three or four auditions, went to a psychotherapist to check me, doctors. Before I knew I was in the show. And when, But when I was waiting on stage the night, it was the final ever Big Brother. So the car thing didn't happen because they didn't actually tell me I was going in. I was on stage with 71 people and they were like, we're going to tell you live. And I was like, that's not what I visualised. Like, oh my gosh, the whole world's going to see me being humiliated. All my dance friends are going to see me. Because as a dancer, you're a backing dancer. You don't want to be in the front. God forbid you tried to put yourself in the front. You you shunned from the dance community then. So I was like, oh, gosh. Everyone around me was like, I'm not going in, I'm not going in, I'm not going in. And they gave us all train tickets and said, look, if you don't go in, here's your return train ticket. I got mine out of my pocket. I was like, I'm going in. And just started visualising it and visualising And there's 71 people on there and I'm nothing special. And I just kept saying, big brother chooses you, big brother chooses you. And I remember my body was Vibrating, I felt sick. I thought if this secret stuff works, I'm in. If if I don't get in, it doesn't work. Like, that's what I said. I said, so I'm going to believe I'm going in. And I could hear people around me going, I'm not going to go in. I know I'm not getting in. I know I'm not getting in. They were protecting themselves from the disappointment of not going in. I was like, I'm not going to. This is the first time in my life I didn't protect myself from, like, the disappointment. I said, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. And the more and more I said it, the more my body started to, like, really vibrate. Because I'd never... Emotionally allowed myself Like you said To the You know like the execution Like to really want Really go all and in myself, All in I mean like not protect myself With the thought of Well if you don't get anything You can go home And you can say this None of that I just let myself Freefall in my mind And by the time They got to number seven The seventh person Or was it the 14th I can never remember They were like Big brother chooses you Ippy goo goo And I was like Oh my gosh. Um, And I went in and I said to Davina, I was the first person on national television to mention the secret. And I said, Davina, the secret, it works. She went, what's the secret? What's the secret? And I said, the secret, it works. I went up the stairs. I was like, the secret, it works. I was like, the secret, it works. I went in and everyone's like, and I thought to myself as I walked down the stairs, I don't actually need to be in this house. If I can have anything that I want, and I can visualize it and believe it. It's then what I want. Oh my gosh, I can't wait till I get out. I can have everything I want. And it was like that was the moment 2020, 2010. So we're talking about 12 years ago where I really understood the power of your thoughts and your beliefs and your vision. And since then, because I have that and I experienced it and I kind of made a little prayer to God, I said, if you put me in the house, I will never doubt you ever again. I will just believe that i'm here for greatness so i just use that you constantly going to teach my kids it we do it everything we want it's like can we feel it can we see it can we touch it can we taste it can we imagine it do we believe it right let's now take action and do what, we don't just visualize it and pray that something will happen you know we visualize it and then do the steps that we need to do mm. so it's a long long drawn out answer no it's good
1: it's good I don't- I think more people need to think about their stuff. And I'm a big believer that anytime we hear anyone, anyone who ever talks that's inspired us, whether that's in a business meeting, whether it's on YouTube, whether you're watching a stage performance or some well-known person that we know, every time I've ever been moved emotionally, the person who was talking wasn't holding back. Like they were never, everything that's ever inspired us, they were going all in. They were fully committed. So if the very thing, and this is what I think for anyone who's watching this, if you're ever in doubt about whether you should go all in, think about the last time you were inspired and think, was that person half, to go and watch an amazing speech now, you're not going like they're not like on their phone, well, yeah, and just bumbling along. They're not holding back from shyness. They talk with passion and sometimes you'll see someone and there's almost the, the, the point where the switch clicks, right? And they seem a bit shy and they get into that flow and they get to fully let themselves be exposed, as you said, fully commit to that moment. And that's where we see that greatness in people. Now, I'm hoping with this podcast is, is going to get more people to that stage. What do you think if someone sat there now, and I'm not too worried about the secret side, people believe they don't believe, and I think people will get to that stage when they get to it. But if someone's not getting results now in a business or they've got a team and they're not performing and if we magicked you in there right now if you Thomas and you were going to help shake them out of uh, the lull what would you say what would be your first thing or or maybe an example of if you've ever been in a bit of a lull what you've done for yourself to get out of it
0: Really great question. Um I'd love to back into the end of what you said because something Whatever
1: happened. you like
0: when you said about fully, I love what you said, when have you ever been inspired by somebody? Um, and if you look, were they fully committed and fully in? Like for me, it just flashed back to Barack Obama, 2008, you know, his um, inauguration go, like he when he took his place as, you know, president, he cried, he literally cried. Like, so you've got a black man for the first time getting, you know, a seat at the table and he cried, he just, tears rolled down his face. And it was just so emotionally moving that he would allow himself to just show like how much that meant Not for him, for his family, for every person who voted for him. And it was the whole, yes, we can. And that was, I think probably the moment that really solidified for me that he is a man of change. Because imagine any man or woman in that situation, crying, it kind of, everyone thinks it undermines you. You're a politician. Yeah. So the fact that he had the vulnerability, the connection, the, to expose himself, like the, the minute you've just took over the, like the most superpower country in the world, every single camera has you crying like a baby. Like that to me was courageous, brave, inspiring. So I agree. I don't think you can move somebody unless you totally commit to being authentically you in that moment and allowing the world to see you like in a magnified way. Um so yeah, love that. And um to answer the question of what what would I say to a company who was struggling at the moment who needed to, I say, like, get Dave, the sales agent in, get him, get Dave, get him in, he'll come in and he'll show you. But um I'd say the first thing I do even when and I haven't done sales training um for a long time, but I would use the same techniques. The first thing is I'd identify what their needs are, you know, find out once I know from the corporates who've invited me what what their needs are, then I would get under the bonnet of all of the staff. Because the thing is, people who so you and you know this, every organization has fixed costs, the things that they have to pay for anyway. And the only way you can increase the bottom line profits is by um is by looking at your fixed costs, you know? And your fixed cost are the people, you know, the people. If you can change the people and you can get into their mindset and you can get, find out what their key motivators are, what are the, what are the things that they want, like get under the bonnet. We used to go in and do like, um, these, um, algorithms, this TTI success, um, training, which I know loads of people do it like, but I mean, by neuroscience from San Diego, you know, and we'd get them to fill in all these forms so that and computerized with like 189 different algorithms to make sure. And we'd look under the bonnet, we'd see what motivates them, what inspires them, why do they come to work? What is their thing that they need? And I'd find out what each team member needs, you know, and then find out what their desires are. So it goes back to the vision. I would go in there because the thing is with um, sales, it like we said throughout the whole conversation, it's a mindset thing. It's a confidence thing. It's a understand. It's about a, a self awareness thing. It's it's a it's really deep work sales because you're working on yourself to be able to pull back the layers to connect with your clients. So the first thing I would do is I would um do a like a I would want to psychoanalyze every person in the sales team, figure out what it is that motivates them. Why do they get up in the morning? What is it that they're trying to buy or save or do? And then I would keep reinforcing that to them that when you're able to do this this is what you get because cause and effect and desire and goals i would get them all to set goals to what it is that they actually want to achieve and then once they're bought into the idea of if I make 100 calls, those 100 calls convert into 20 um, face-to-faces. Those 20 face-to-faces convert into two clients. Those two clients, what do they mean to you? How much money is that? How does that fit into your overall goal, what you want to do? Okay, then, so let's focus on what you want, and then we focus on what you need to do. And I and I love that because then it moves the needle. It moves the person because they're not now focusing on have to do goal calls and sell stuff. It's like, I really want to buy that puppy for my daughter. And then I just reinforce it. You know, do you want that little chocapoo for your little daughter who's got allergies? You really want that? Well, do you know what? You can have that. And to get that, you need to make 120 calls. You need to do. You need to be really confident, and you need to overcome the objections. So it's like about educating them on what they can do. That, and I think education is the key because when people understand themselves, they can they can actually take responsibility for themselves. And- Can actually then change Mm. so yeah more attitudinal rather than um because the thing is people always look at people always hire when they hired me in for skills you know they want you in there for skills and knowledge skills and knowledge is such a small portion of of, because i you know we talk about the andrew carnegie triangle and talk about andrew carnegie who was um, one of the richest men scottish um super wealthy in his time like at the turn of the century he hired Napoleon Hill and he hired Napoleon Hill to go and interview the 500 of the most um successful businesses of the time and Andrew Carnegie was worth more than Bill Gates and Warren Buffett put together so he's super wealthy and he wanted to find out what is the secrets of success So Napoleon Hill went and interviewed all the successful people and he came back and he gave him a list and and gave him and said the 66 characteristic traits that make someone successful and Andrew Carnegie was like do you know what go back and find me just three. Like we haven't got time to go through the 66. So Napoleon Hill comes back and he whittles it down and to three things. Those three things, skills, knowledge, and then there's one more. So that's why, and those skills and knowledge together actually only come up to 15%. 15% of what makes someone successful is skills and knowledge. And it's literally equal seven and a half percent each. That means 85% of what make people successful is something that isn't skills and knowledge and what they discovered what it was is is that it's attitude it's your attitude which you can you're in control of you can always give people more skills you can always give people more knowledge but if they don't have the right attitude then they can't actually do anything so when you work on the attitudinal side of the business you work on changing the attitude of the people then what happens is the revenues you drive revenues up you drive costs down and then you create increase the bottom line profits so you change the people, the fixed assets of the business are the people. Their wages is the same no matter what. So you get them to change. And when you can get them to change, then the business starts to generate more money. So that, that's kind of like what is convincing them that they don't need more skills, they don't need more knowledge. They actually need some attitudinal training.
1: Mm, Ify Thomas that's incredible right if someone's sat here watching this now you can understand why Iffy thomas is someone that people lean on um, for, for advice and guidance and when you talk with such clarity you just ooze expertise you really really do so i know we need to wrap things up your time is precious we've got a lot going on so if someone wants to go out now find more about you what have you got going on in your world tell us what's going on tell us where people can find you
0: Oh, but well, thank you so much for having me here and all the lovely compliments. You know, I love talking about sales with you, and you're brilliant at what you do. And just hearing you speak reminds me how much I love it. But um, I've really moved away from that. Um, but love it; it's at the core of my passion, I suppose. Um, but what I do now is I'm actually because of my years of being in in front of the camera, and um, I love storytelling. I actually help businesses, entrepreneurs master their message on video. So I, I actually write video scripts and brand stories and I help people show up on video and get their message out there. And it's it's my favorite thing to do because it doesn't feel like a job. It feels like I'm sit every time I sit in front of my computer and someone tells me their story and I ask them a series of nosy questions. I feel like I'm sitting in a in a movie theater and I'm getting to see the truth behind the person that like I'm getting to understand because I love psychology. So I'm getting to really understand what makes them who they are. So um, that's what I do. I help you master your message by creating your story. And you can find me on Instagram at um or you can go to thomascom which is my website. Um, you can find me on probably every social platform um, even on Wisdom um but I would say the best place to find me is just go to Instagram, sign into my DMs and just be like hi and well actually don't just say hi because I feel like you might be just uh, someone random but just say hi you know I heard you speaking with David and I'd love to find out how a video can help my business grow and we'd love to chat
1: Definitely go and check out Iffy Thomas. Uh, you guys have been listening to the Sales Masters podcast. Remember to give it a subscribe, a like, a follow, a share, a review, and all of that jazz. Um, and Ify, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, like, follow, subscribe, rate and review, and join me again on the next edition of the Sales Masters podcast.